Well, we lift our hands and praise the Lord every Sunday morning as we gather for worship, and I hope that we're preparing for the rest of our lives to walk out those doors every Sunday and scatter for missions. I want to ask you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 14. As you're turning there, I want to just tell you a little bit of a personal testimony. I was very nervous for the last couple of years as I've thought about starting a strategic planning initiative, and I want to tell you why. Because it was kind of between a rock and a hard place, and I want to tell you what I mean by that. Uh, rock in a hard place is that on the one hand I love this church family I cannot imagine myself without this church family I think we've got the best church family in the world I adore this church we've got something extremely special here I don't know anybody who's ever been unwelcome when they came in the back doors of this church we're focused on the Lord in a healthy way we want to build his kingdom and so on the one hand, I felt like we have an amazing church, but I was convinced that we weren't all that we could be. In other words, I felt like we were really good, but that being good was keeping us from being great. That I felt like we had more potential, and I didn't know how to get us to open our eyes to the more potential, to grow into who we're supposed to be forever. And so on the one hand, I saw a church I loved that I just didn't know exactly how to nudge us the little bit that we need to be exactly who God called us to be to reach our full potential, to live up to the blessings that God gave us. So I knew we needed something, but the hard place, I'll be honest with you, I was scared. And I want to tell you why I was scared. I was scared because I know that one day I'm going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and I'm going to give an account for my life as your pastor. And I love this church. And I, and I was afraid that when we started strategic planning conversations, they would all boil down to self-serving things. How big a church can we be? How much money can we have? How many buildings should we build? And in my heart, I knew that that is not what God wants churches to think about. I know that God wants this to be more about His gospel and His glory, and not just our reputation. And I was scared. I was scared that if we started strategic planning, if we started long-term vision casting, that we would fall off into this church growth pit of how big can we be? How many people can we have on Sundays? And I thought, God, I know that's not the goal, and I was afraid. And i got to tell you that because that's where I started, I'm extremely proud of where we've landed. Because I believe that what we've done here is we've prioritized the kingdom. That we've said we, we're, we're counting lives impacted. We're pushing our church to be healthy for the gospel, to be disciple makers, to love the lost, to seek out the least of these, to touch people for King Jesus' sake, to impact 5,000 people, 5,000 families across the Pine Belt. That's what we want. And we trust God for the harvest. If He sends them to another church, if they're discipled some other place, that's for His glory, and we're pleased with it. But what I've learned is that in telling 500 stories of our obedience, we'll watch a church transformed as one by one by one by one, we learn to say yes to God, to be sensitive to His Holy Spirit's nudging. So what I think we've done is landed in a really healthy place where we are determined to be us and to be as healthy in us as we can be and to please King Jesus and to not chase after any measures that are unhealthy or unpleasing in the eyes of God. And I want to tell you something else that I love about this. I believe that if we do this right, as a church... If we develop an instinct, a culture, for living on God's mission, for loving Him, for growing, for being formed into Jesus' image, and serving Him, saturating the gospel with the pine belt. If we grow into that, 
then all the other things in our imaginations will come along with it that you could ever imagine. The church would be packed. I'd love to see a day when our 38 baptisms from last year turned to 308. I'd love to see a day when one service wouldn't begin to hold us all. I'd love to see one ser- a day when college students are telling about lives changed all around them on Sunday morning and college Sunday school classes cannot let out because the testimony time just goes on and on and on and on. I look forward to the day that our senior adults with a twinkle in their eye bring a friend in their 70s to be baptized to give the last chapter of their life to King Jesus. I look forward to the day that our children learn to be on mission in fifth grade, learning to love people and seek the lost. I believe that this is healthy, and that as a church, if we do this well, then all the other things that matter will come along in the right place. I think we've done a good job aiming for the right target, not the wrong ones. So I want to talk to you today about our one-year initiative. So we've been in a sermon series called Invest and Engage and Invite for the last month because we've been trying to think about reaching people. And today is a sermon for invite. Today is the sermon where I tell the church that we want to invite people to the church, yes, but more than to the church. We want to invite people into your home, to your living room, to your back deck, to your kitchen table. We want you to disciple your brothers and sisters. We want you to find people in your neighborhood who need to be connected to the Lord, and we want you to invite them into the environments that will help them grow, to your Sunday school class, to our worship service, or to your household. But we want to become a church that invites. And this allows me to set up our 5x5x5 plan, because I can tell you about our one-year initiative. In other words, the stories will come. 500 stories over the next five years. Those boards, year by year, will fill up. Families impacted around the Pine Belt. That will happen over the next five years. Disciples being made in here as we try to obey God in a new way every day. That will happen in here over the next five years. Over the next three years, yes, we'll learn to tell the stories. Yes, we'll become an own mission culture. Yes, we'll evaluate our master plan for the facilities. And yes, we'll maximize our fellowship, our love for each other, our connections to each other. Yes, over the next three years. What about this year, this one year? This is the year of the ping pong ball. This is the year when we're going to challenge each other to become an own mission culture, to think about people by making 25,000 connections this year. 25,000 connections in our first year. I want to tell you what that means, and I want to tell you what on earth the ping pong ball has to do with 25,000 connections. So a connection, well, for me, making a connection is that you are leveraging relationships with gospel intent. Here's what I mean by that. You are surrounded by a web of people. You live in a network of family and friends, colleagues and coworkers, people who participate in your hobbies or engage in your sports field. You see cashiers or coworkers every day. You see waitresses and servers. You see waiters and businessmen. You see the garbage collectors and the landscapers, you are surrounded by a web of humanity and you are bound up in it. All of us are. And for the next year, we're going to challenge you to leverage all those connections. The ones that you've had for eons and the ones that you casually make as you bump into somebody tomorrow at Ace Hardware. And we want you to leverage those interpersonal contacts for gospel intent. We want to ask you to try to connect that person. Connect them to God. Connect them to His gospel. You can invite them to church. You can invite them to your your home for marriage mentoring. You can invite them to Taco Tuesday for the purpose of you praying over them and investing in their life for long-term gospel help. So 25,000 connections. Here's what we're asking everybody to do. 
We're asking you to leverage these relationships for King Jesus. Why? So that we can train ourselves to always be inviting. Now, 25,000. Gosh, that seems like a lot. Why 25,000? Because this church has more potential than we recognize. And if we'd said 10,000, it would be less than half of what we can do. Let me tell you why 25,000. I know that seems huge. But do you know what 25,000 is? Essentially, 25,000 connections in the course of one year is what would happen if every person who gathers for worship on a Sunday morning simply made one connection for God this week. One. If every person who's on campus right now would make one connection for God this week, invite one person into their home or to lunch or breakfast for the gospel's sake, if every person would invite one person to worship with us at church on Sunday or one person to join you in your small group on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, if every person on campus invited one person, then in the course of the year, listen to me, that is 25,000 souls. Every person making one contact. So what about the ping pong ball? Well, let me tell you about the ping pong ball. We need a way to celebrate this so that it doesn't get lost. And so this is the year of the ping pong ball. Here's what we're going to do. There are three displays around the church. The one on my right, the one on my left, and one in the foyer. And they, they've got the logo for the 25, for the 5 by 5 by 5 and the 25,000 connections. And here's what we want you to do. This week we want you to scatter for missions. And we want you to make those connections. And you're going to hit the ground running this week. You're going to make five connections this week because you're eager. Or you'll make one because you said the preacher said make one. But you're going to make connections this week. You're going you're to invite somebody to join you in church. Or to come sit with you and your wife for marriage mentoring. You're going to invite somebody. Your, your, friend's gonna, your son's going to invite somebody into your home so that you can influence them for the gospel. And you're going to pray about that the night before. And you're going to be intentional about it. You're going to invite somebody to be issue. You're going to bring somebody to, for the gospel's sake. You're going to engage a soul and try to bring them with you on this gospel journey. And that person's name, maybe it may be Bob Dylan. I don't know who you're going to meet, right? And so Sunday morning when you gather up as a way of us giving glory to God and celebrating this, you come grab a ping pong ball, you grab a sharpie, you write BD for old Bob Dylan, you put Bob in the display. I owe you one connection, Reed. And then your, your middle schooler is going to say, gosh, I'm surrounded by people all day, every day. And that middle schooler is going to say, mom, dad, how do I do this? And you're going to start to pray together as a family. And you're going to watch that middle schooler develop a heart for missions and people. And that middle schooler is going to come home on Monday and say, hey, I made a connection today. I invited somebody to join us Sunday for church. Mom, can we pick them up? And when you, you come, you're going, to, you're going to write, you know, her name was Lucy Jones. You're going to write L.J. and you're going to... Drop that ping pong ball. And, and I'm going to tell you, for the next couple weeks, you know, there'll be a few ping pong balls in the bottom, right? And it's going to be a little di disappointing with my lonely ping pong ball there. But imagine December when you see a whole sea of ping pong balls in these little displays. And every single ping pong ball represents a human being, a person that God loves that you reached out to. 
Now here's the deal. Some of these connections, they won't work. It's like the farmer sowing seeds. You're trying. Some of them may blow you off, but you still come put that. You tried. Come put that ping pong ball in there, and I'll tell you what's going to happen. Your obedience over the long term is going to develop a heart for missions, a heart for the gospel, a heart for God. And all those efforts, all those seeds that are scattered, the Holy Spirit will bless some of the ground, and some heart will receive it, and someone will start to grow, and somebody will connect to Jesus, and a family will be changed, and impact will happen because you were spreading gospel seeds. And stories will be told, and God will be honored, and we will worship, and a fire will launch in our soul as we watch this church reach our full potential. The Bible has something to say about this, and I want to ask you to read with me about the intensity with which God wants us to invite. Luke chapter 14, it's a parable of the great banquet. So I'll set this up. On a Sabbath day, Jesus is having a meal in the home of a Pharisee, and a man walks in who has dropsy, and he's uh, socially outcast because he's clearly afflicted. He's not clean in their eyes, but Jesus heals him. Now, by healing this guy on the Sabbath, uh, Jesus raises eyebrows, and some of the religious leaders are giving him a little bit of a hard time for what he's done. But it launches for him this series of teachings that all center on the table and fellowship. And it's opening our eyes to what God really wants, how He wants us to leverage our households, our homes, and our energy for the gospel and for the kingdom's sake. He's just told them that when you invite somebody to your home, don't invite somebody who's going to pay you back. Invite, the, invite somebody who, who can't pay you back. Invite the poor, the lame, the blind, so that you'll be paid back in the resurrection of the dead. In other words, there is a God in heaven, and He's watching, and He loves you, and He sees what you're doing. And he cares about it. And you're joining him on his mission. And in the resurrection of the righteous, he will remember what you've done for him. And Jesus is telling them, you should live for the resurrection, not just for the here and now. Don't worry so much about what you're having for lunch. Worry about the souls that surround you. And it leads him into the parable of the great wedding banquet. In the Jewish mindset, they understood the age to come. The new creation as partially defined by a messianic banquet. It's as if great Abraham would invite all his children of faith to his table to celebrate the new creation. They look forward to the day of the great banquet. And somebody speaks up right here in verse 15. One of those at the table with him heard this and he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I love this little zealous sucker sitting at the back of the table. Everybody's looking at him like a weirdo. But he's just standing up. He knocks his chair over. Blessed is the one that will eat with you in the kingdom of God. He loves it. And so Jesus is going to tell a story that I want our church to remember. He's about to tell a story about some people who were invited to this banquet. I mean, I guess one way I could say it is, Jesus is going to tell us a story about a group of people, religious people like me, who were invited to heaven but said no. And then... Jesus is going to say, so what God does is when you say no, it's fine, He goes out and finds the least of these. I mean, people that nobody is even thinking about. They're not on your radar. Oh, but they're on His. And at the end of this parable, He drives the church out the back doors to live on mission. Can I read it to you? Let's read. Verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is ready. So in their setting, he would have invited for the banquet 
long before the banquet. Just like you all do right now. You send a save the date card for your wedding. You know, save the date. So and so's getting married. And you put it on your fridge. And for three months, you're blocking that calendar date. And then the date comes. And to nobody except generally the husband of the house, it's a surprise, right? Do we've got what today? It's been on the fridge for three months, babe. Oh, okay. All right. Save the date. So he sends this preparation invitation. It's almost like God's looking down at us and saying, listen, heaven is coming. I'm going to judge the quick and the dead. I love you and I want to bring you into my household. Will you be prepared, prepare for that? And we've got the opportunity to say, yes, we will. Or we've got the opportunity to say, ah, i got better things to do. Well, where are you today with God? So anyway, he sends these invitations out. And now on the day of the banquet, he sends his servant. Like you're getting, I'm talking, you could not get better treatment. He's going door to door to say, hey, it's time. We're ready to see your family. I'll escort you. And one after the other, after the other, after the other, religious people are telling the master, I can't go. Nope, not going to heaven today. Let me show you exactly how the parable really plays it out. These people represent the Jews that are saying no to Jesus and the kingdom of heaven movement during the lifetime of his gospel. But I think sometimes it characterizes people who cling to cultural Christianity, to religious rituals rather than to the gospel of God, than to being transformed, spiritually formed, into the image of Jesus. So here we go. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought a yoke of five oxen, and five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, uh, I just got married, so I can't come. Excuse after excuse after excuse. I want to just ask you, without making anybody feel guilty, have you been giving God lots of excuses about why you're not serving Him, why you're not following Him, why He's not your Lord today? Have you, have you been giving God excuses as to why you're not looking for people who need Him or why you're not opening your home to somebody? Have you been giving God excuses for things He's been calling you to do? And if you are, well, I'm really glad you came to church today because this can be the day you're set free. This could be the day that you say, but I'm not, not anymore. No more excuses for me. No more for me. Starting today, God, when you tell me to go, I'll go. When you say to do a thing, I will obey you. No more excuses. But Jesus was surrounded by people who said, no, 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 you healed a man on the Sabbath. I'm not going to, no, 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 surely, surely the Messiah couldn't come from Nazareth. No, 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 he wouldn't die on a cross. Jesus is surrounded by excuses for people who will not receive the kingdom because he's not the Messiah that they wanted. And I'm asking, in our world, are we surrounded by people who are making excuses? And I'm begging you to evaluate your own heart. Are we making excuses? Because the health of this church will come when we all obey God immediately and always and without giving him a thousand reasons that we can't or won't. And we don't have other priorities that create excuses to keep us from being about the Father's business. Verse 21, so the servant came back and he reported to his master and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the cripple, the blind, the lame. In their day, these are not the people that would have been invited to their banquets. They were considered social outcasts and God begins to cast a vision that his banquet table will be filled with brothers and sisters that you and I may not imagine in our social circles. 
and ask you to baptize your social circle into King Jesus and expand it. That you would open your home and your dinner table to those that you've never imagined yourself doing life with. That we would one day see our pews filled with every nation, every class, every culture, every person. Our church has been amazing at embracing and loving everybody who's ever walked in our doors. I'm telling you that the church is up to it. Let's go out and be faithful. So the master says, go get everybody from the street. Every beggar. Go get every poor person. Every sick person. Fill my house. And this is a cool response from the guy. Verse 22. Sir, the servant said, well, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. In other words, the servant said, amazing thing here. I've got all of the people you asked me to get. They're all here now. And there's still some seats at the table. Here's the good news. From what I've read in the scripture, there is not a maximum capacity in the kingdom of heaven. Like, you know how you get into an elevator and it says like maximum capacity, you know, 11 people. And you count there's 12 in the elevator now and you're nervous, right? Or you, or you go into a restaurant and it's like maximum capacity, 250, you know, and if it's really any good, nobody cares, we still fill it up, right? There is no maximum occupancy in the kingdom of heaven. The Messiah's table is so long, you'll never fill it. And what I'm telling you there is our work is never done. Like if you're 80, our work's not done. There are still empty seats at the table. If you're busy and in college, it doesn't matter. You're surrounded by people. The work is not done. The Messiah's banquet table, the kingdom of heaven, there are empty seats yet. And so Jesus says, fill them in. Watch the intensity. I love this. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and to the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. What God wants is a full house. Like He wants a family around him. He wants one less sinner who will be separated from him in hell. What God wants is his creation, his image bearers gathered around him. Like the glory that God wants in heaven is a huge family of people who said yes to him. Now, we're more familiar with go out into the highways, into the hedges, in the country lanes. And I'm telling you, you go out this week into the highways. and the, What if you went to the highways and the hedges? Like, what if you went to every college classroom on Southern's campus? What if, what if you went to the intramural fields? What if you went to the band hall? What if the highways and the hedges became the world that you walked and you were constantly looking for opportunities to invite somebody to the banquet table of God? You're constantly looking for connections that you can make so that you can bring people closer to King Jesus, the one that created them and loves them and died to redeem them. I want us to be a healthy church and to please King Jesus. And on our way, as we're growing and being transformed into the image of Jesus, as we're being spiritually formed, as each of us are stepping out on our journey of Christian maturity, I'm challenging us today to go into the highways and the hedges. And I want to tell you why. Because more than anything that I'm devoted to, I love the living God that created us, and you do too. And He wants His table full because every person who sits at it is a soul who escaped separation from Him in hell. It's an image bearer redeemed. 
It's a person who is dead and is given life. It is a hopeless soul that was given hope. And that's what God wants us to be busy about. And I'll be honest with you, there's no amount of money we could make. There's no esteem or status that could be given our name that would ever measure up to the impact that you will have as you transform the pine belt for the glory of God. And when one at a time we all die and meet our maker, when one at a time we gather for funeral after funeral, we'll know that as you stand before the king and when my turn comes and I stand before the king, I can smile and say, sir, I went to the highways and to the hedges. I looked, I promise. And your life will have been changed as you're in the highways and the hedges looking. Because you'll be on an adventure with King Jesus, the Holy Spirit, doing things in you and through you that connect to the ultimate purpose that God has for mankind. How many connections, Robert? How many connections can you make? As you leverage relationships with gospel intent, how many people will you come in contact, and contact with and how many might you affect? Well, if we start counting from the time that you can remember, and most of us can remember about age five, if you live the average, which is 78.3 years, you're going to come in contact with, let's just, say, let's just say, three new people a day. That's normal, right? You'll bump into three people at play school. And then in elementary school, you'll bump into three people in high school, three people a day that you have an interaction with. You'll bump into three people, you know, as an adult trying to take your kids to McDonald's. You'll bump into three people on the way to the hospital to visit somebody. You'll bump into three people at Belk's buying something, some new shoes, right? You'll, buy, you'll bump into three people on your way to the nursing home to make a visit. You'll bump into three people when you check into the nursing home one day. You'll bump into three people a day, right? Throughout the span of your life, three people a day. Three people a day starting at age five with an average lifespan of 78.3, 80,000 people that you're going to share some kind of a three-person-a-day connection with. 80,000 for each one of you. That's amazing to me. If you stop and think about it, on average in your workplaces, and I know some of you work in the schools and some of you work in factories or businesses or at plants or in the church, on average... The normal North American individual has 25 work colleagues, 25 of your connections, work colleagues that you can begin investing with. I know every family is different in size. I get that. Some are large, some are small. I get that. But in general, in general, if you live your full lifespan, you'd see three generations. And you know, I, the average childbearing age these days, I think, is 25-ish from what I read. So the stat that I came out with is two kids starting at 25, you see three generations, 15 people from your immediate family, from your family, not talking about aunts, uncles, cousins, but 15 people coming out below you under your watch, under your umbrella that you can manage. And you start to add aunts and uncles and cousins, and we're looking at 50. You can imagine a crazy town family reunion, right? But you got 25 work colleagues. Maybe you've got 50 family members, and there's sort of a number that's been passed around, Dunbar's number forever, that says that most of you can sustain about 150 relationships with friends. Folks that if you bumped into them in a restaurant, you could sit down, have a glass of tea and a sandwich with and be comfortable. 150. We're asking every person in the church to make a contact a week. That's 52. And you will make 25,000 highway and hedges connections for King Jesus. And all around us, we'll watch the Spirit of God fill the pews with people from every corner of the pine belt. We'll know that as they go home, they're worshipers of the living God. We'll celebrate their baptisms and rejoice together.
And the potential is amazing when you say 25,000. But the fact of the matter is that each one of us are surrounded by well more than 200 connections within easy reach. And you only need 52 to make this work. Our college students, our high schoolers, middle schoolers, you guys are in the most highly relational context you'll ever be, and you are surrounded by hundreds of people all day, every day. I wouldn't be surprised if our high schoolers, middle schoolers, and college students could fill up an entire display on their own. I'm telling you, the, the opportunity for our church to be on mission is phenomenal. And so at the end of this service, this is what I want to ask you to consider doing. I just want to ask you, would everybody take one step? Now, for some of you in the room today, it might be that you're not saved. You came to church today, but as you're here, you're feeling the nudges of the Holy Spirit that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You want to be baptized and become a Christian. We want that too. I'll be down here at the end of the service, and if that's you, if God's nudging you for salvation, would you come and share that with me so that we can start to talk with you, so we can pray with you and lead you to accept Christ and be baptized and begin your journey with Jesus as a disciple. If you can't come down, grab the card in front of you. Let us know that you're ready for that. We want to follow up with you and see you born again. Nothing more important would happen today. But the second thing I want to ask you to do is this. I want everybody who already knows the Lord, everybody who's secure in their salvation, I want you to consider this. I'm asking you to take one small step this week. I want everybody today to say, you know what, I can make one connection for Christ this week. Can I make one connection? Absolutely I can. And as a first step, as a landmark day for Carterville Baptist Church, as we launch out into faithfulness, I want to ask you as we worship the Lord in this last song of our worship service, if you will commit to being available to God so that you would look for one connection you can make in the highways and the hedges of your week, I want to ask you to come down. The song is plenty long enough. There's plenty of time. Wait for some others to come. You'll make it. You'll get here. We're going to have ping pong balls. Four people I've asked to hold ping pong balls in the front of the church, two in the balcony. In fact, brothers and sisters, if you're helping service in that way, if you'll go ahead and find your place, take a basket of ping pong balls, Reed can help you. But church member, if you're willing to make one connection this week, I just want to ask you during this invitation, just as an act of worship to the Lord, would you come and take one ping pong ball or ten? But would you come down and take your one ping pong ball, put it in your pocket, take it home with you, and let it remind you all week that you're watching the highways and the hedges. And next Sunday, can we look up and see 500 ping pong balls because you were faithful this week? I've got mine, and I'm ready to use it. And I pray that God would allow you as well. Let's pray together as we become a church who seeks the highways and the hedges for King Jesus. Lord, I love you, and I pray that your spirit would descend on us. Father, we tell you right now that our strategic plan, all of it, God, if it's not a servant to your gospel, to your great name, then we put it behind us. But Lord, we ask you that you would seize it and capture it, that your Holy Spirit would come over us as a church, and that you would use this tool to keep us focused on the glory of your gospel and on the calling of your kingdom. God, I pray that you would empower us and unleash us every Sunday for a week of ministry in the highways and the hedges as we seek those who will fill up your table. I pray, God, you would teach us. We confess that today, at the start, we do not know how to do this. We're not comfortable. We're afraid. We have a thousand questions. But God, we pray that on our journey with Jesus, that over the next five years, you teach us and train us and shape us. 
And God, that you would do things that we never dreamed of here. We ask for your blessing as we give you our hands, our feet, our mouths, our minds, our homes, our lives, our highways, and our hedges. God, we pray that you would take this remarkable church that you've built and that you would allow us to be faithful in the future and make your name famous all around the Pine Belt. We love you and we ask for your Holy Spirit today in Jesus' name.